Welcome back, Flight to Friday listeners. Kenny, what's up, dude? Hey, Sam, how are you today? I'm good, man. <laughs> I just want to kind of listen to that song the entire time. It's so good. Yeah, I'm really excited to be doing the podcast right now. Oh, big time. Hey, uh, before we even get started, uh, we, you and I went on a little field trip to the yeah. uh, Cottage Hill Package Store. Excellent, excellent place to buy beer. Very knowledgeable individual there who uh, will set you right. I walked in and I asked, hey, what's your Christmas... Uh, beverage selection and what did you point out like 16 different yeah. types of beers and we bought every single one we bought, <laughs> <laughs> they're all in the fridge downstairs now uh what are we starting with man uh we've got a gingerbread hot cocoa 10w40 uh it's an imperial stout oh yeah it's got uh cocoa it? powder ginger cinnamon nutmeg allspice clove vanilla and it also says with spice walla Oh, spice I don't know wall? what spice wall is. It's, it's probably just a Christmas kick right to the face, dude. That's <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. It is a ten uh, percenter, I think. Oh, it's only eight. Only eight. Okay. Yep. With, we got a couple other that are in ten percent. We'll get into those later. We'll get into those later. Uh, I want to thank our resident Nate Sulare, who corrects all of our erroneous mistakes. Uh, when we talk about fixed wing things. So your case that you had in Puerto Rico uh, where that guy went down, uh, you know, just short of final and, and you got over top and he's basically standing hand salute with his briefcase in his hand as he sinks into the water. Uh, it wasn't a Pilatus. Uh, he was. He said a whole bunch of jargon about Pilatuses are cool, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I actually don't even remember what kind of aircraft it was. It's sitting right. Oh, Piper Navajo Chieftain is the actual aircraft. Yeah. Did, he also pointed out my response time. Yes. Yeah. That. Oh, thank you. Yeah. According to the NTSB, the NTSB, Kenny, true. you were on scene in six minutes and hoisted him five minutes later. Uh, and he says, I presume because you were out of fuel. Probably. Most but I'm just glad because sometimes, you know, uh, well, how's that old saying go? Never, never let facts get in the way of a good story. But uh, it sounds like NTSB backed up everything I said there. So They did. And you alluded to some nefarious uh, potential with this case. Right. Yeah. And it sounded like maybe he didn't have to ditch. Yeah. NTSB specifically said he did not follow any procedures, did not have to ditch, but he elected to just <laughs> ditch, which I would say in general, pilots probably are not going to jump to the conclusion to ditch if, unless they absolutely have to. Oh, yeah. Hey, and so we talked to uh, about 05 Unicorns that day as well. Um, he mentioned that Josh Harrington uh, was picked up for 05 last year with no grad school or staff, uh, but turned it down in order to retire early. Uh, so he's not quite in the club. Uh, and then we got a text from Ben Walton said that he was an 05 who'd never done a staff tour, but he did have grad school. Yeah, it was just Bush League. Yeah, he's he just knows, trying he to, should he, know better he is trying to get Here's us to your say beer, his by name. The way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, lastly, before we, we move on, uh, he, Nate also gave us some information about overtorque records. So his uh, best overtorque was 119 out of 131. Uh, not the overall record. I guess that is 135. Uh, hot breaks do occur, but not very much in their community. And ironically, they're always on long runways, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> like, said 10,000, 11,000, 15,000 foot runways. Uh, yeah, I All guess right, that's, the rest that's of enough is, That's enough. Yeah, over stuff. time. Okay. But no, I'm super excited today. Um, I feel like the last couple episodes, we've kind of gotten away from our roots um, and kind of kind of went out and, and talked to, you know, ATC and ALC and some of these other entities. And that's, that's great. But um, what gets me super excited and passionate about this podcast is talking to um, Coast Guard air crews that are going out there and doing the King's business. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what we're doing today. So we're talking to a uh, Humboldt crew that went out and uh, I think they picked up someone, a, was it a rock climber? I guess stranded rock climber. Rock climber. Yep. So 
Um, out of ground hover, 2,000 feet. Nighttime. Nighttime, burnt surface. So yeah, uh, super excited to just talk to them today. And hopefully, um, you know, most of our listeners are probably Coast Guard air crew or aspiring to be Coast Guard air crew. So hopefully you can put yourself in their shoes and kind of walk through like what what decisions did they make and what factors were part of that decision-making tree? Yeah. How would I do it if I was yeah. in their shoes? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, should we dive into it, man? Yeah. This beer is really good, by the way. I haven't tried it yet. Taste it. Why are you giving me that face, Kenny? I don't think that was the right button. <laughs> no, is that the music? No, that's the story time right. music. Anyways, uh, <laughs> you're right. This beer is delicious. But uh, hey, I think we got the the Humbay crew on the line here. Uh, Shay, are you there? I am. Hey, welcome to Flight Suit Friday, guys. How are you? Good. 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 Awesome. Uh, Shay, along with you, I think you got some uh, other folks there with you. Is that correct? Sure do. Uh, I'll let each of them introduce themselves. Yeah, cool. Let's start with uh, John. Hey, I'm Lieutenant uh, Jonathan Thomas. I've been at Humble for about uh, four years now, and I am new to the Coast Guard. Uh, nice. Just been on Lieutenant today. Hey, congratulations, about, dude. <laughs> yeah. have about 700 hours, I think, in the 65, but uh, shorter time in the Echo. I think we're about only what, six months now in the Echo. Um, that's it for me. Okay. My army guys, well, oh, nice. Some experience there. Welcome, welcome. On the civilian side too, a lot of knowledge, a lot of insight from that guy. All right, next we got uh, Reed Schneider. Are you here? Right here. Yeah, AET three Reed Schneider. I've been at Humbay for about a year and some change. Been a flight mag for maybe three months. Yeah. At this point. Congrats. Cool. Yeah, I think we'll get we'll get into that a little bit later in the story. But congrats on that. That's awesome. Yeah, and then you, uh, it. yeah, and then Petty Officer uh, Nick Kemp is that Petty Officer Second Class or Petty Officer First Class now? Everything I read said Second Class, but First Class, right. First Class now. Yeah, I advanced uh, two weeks ago. That's awesome, dude! Congratulations. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, so I've been in Humbay for uh, two and a half years. It's my second tour here. Um, yeah. Nice. Where else you been stationed? Uh, Clearwater. Okay. Sweet, dude. Uh, and then we have the illustrious Shay Quinn. How you doing there, sir? Doing well. Uh, I've been up here in Humboldt for a year and a half. Hitron. Uh, and prior to Hitron, I was in Port Angeles. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Sweet. Great time. Uh, short app and note on myself. Uh, those of you who are not familiar... I stutter, uh, so you may hear some of that. Can't tell, dude. Episode. Can't tell. <laughs> if you're uh, on the other end of this, wondering what is happening, uh, <laughs> I will. I will offer you uh, the information you need, uh, just at likely a slower rate than you would like. Uh, so thanks in advance for uh, hanging on with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For those of us that know you, at least we know it's the real deal. Because if you didn't, like, we knew you're an imposter. Imposter. Yeah. Who's the shake right. guys? John, can you just describe the uh, where you guys are at right now? Because it sounds like a wonderful place to be. So we're at Redwood Curtain Brewery, which uh, also happens to be where we get our beer kegs for the wardroom. Nice. Uh, and, and we're in the nice outdoor setup, and we got a uh, food truck right next to us. I'm sure you probably hear that in the background. Oh, that's excellent. 
And uh, we're at the brewery so early that they we had to wait for them to open, which is always a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what's the uh, beer of choice right now? Yeah, what do we got? So I think Mr. Quinn has a porter. Uh, London Town. Nice. 6.7%. Yeah, Very buddy. Good. Thank you. On Nitro is the right way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Nick, and, Nick and Ryan are rocking the IGA Imperial Golden Ale. Mm-hmm. Right, the same, and then I have. I pretty much just said, "Give me the darkest beer you guys got," because I'm a, I'm more of a bourbon guy. But um, I have the stout. And I don't know what the six something probably on the alcohol volume. Yeah, Sam and I are also working a, a stout right now. Some it's like good. it's like a Christmas explosion in your mouth, basically. Yeah, it's a hot cocoa W ten W forty. I don't even know what's in there, but it's great. Uh, <laughs> Well, enough of the pleasantries, gents. Uh, from my brief readings in uh, just kind of little synopsis that had been sent around the fleet for what you guys did, you guys had a pretty gnarly SAR case out there in Humboldt, which uh, just hearing myself say that seems like a consistent theme for your unit, right? You guys, when you guys get something, you get something good. Um, Shay, can we start with you, man? Can you just give us a quick, you know, 30,000 foot view of what happened? Sure. Um we were actually offshore landing to the Cutter Deadfast mm-hmm. for Jonathan's initial shipboard qualification. Nice. That, that sounds scary already. Yeah. Ter- <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Got it. Continue. Uh, well, uh, while we were there, we were advised that Sector was uh, looking for us. Uh-huh. So we shifted over to them on the radio and... Um, we're informed that we were being diverted for a cliff rescue in the vicinity of Willow Creek, California, Willow uh, Creek. along Highway 299. Okay. Uh, so for those of you unfamiliar with Humboldt, obviously the air station is out on the ocean. And then uh, a short ways inland, you got increasing ridge lines, um, and highway... 299 yeah i guess one of let's see three ways out of town yeah um so it's uh essentially just east of the air station um the latin long they offered us was about two miles west of willow creek itself as i recall okay um so from our rough estimate it was going to be somewhere uh between about 2,000 to 4,000 feet yeah, because you guys quickly get up to like Trinity Alps, which is like nine thousand feet, right? Nine, eleven, something crazy like that. Yeah, uh, some of the higher elements in there are uh, up at that altitude for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, left the ship on our way back into the air station. Uh, it turns out it went IFR. Um, I think it was overcast at about three hundred feet that night. Ugh. Uh, worked our way in, hot gas, left IFR via the Hoka 5, for those of you who have uh, spent some of your time out here in Humboldt. I think we got through the upper end of that at about 1,500 feet, and then just went inland from there. Got on scene, as I'm sure we'll walk through here. Uh, We're unsuccessful in our first attempt, Uh so we elected to leave scene, um, shoot the ILS into the air station, hot gas, Swapped out a few things on the aircraft, and then uh, same thing, IFR out to the scene, 
uh, we're able to make a successful rescue on our second attempt and then uh, home after that. So was it uh, obviously you and John and then Reed, were you out there for the DLQs or were you uh, sitting back home waiting in case the SAR case happened? Uh, yes, I was. Okay. That was also a first for me that night. Nice. You guys are all, you're taking a lot of boxes. Cause it, <laughs> that, uh, I heard that that case, uh, that you guys did was your first SAR case as well. Right. And, and your first duty day. Is that all true? That is very true. Yes. I think the ink was still wet from my flight mac letter. <laughs> Man. So what was going through your head and you're like, Hey, we're going to divert you maybe for this vert surface case at night. Uh, I'd say when the radio initially went off that we were going to do that, I was standing outside on the boat doing our podcast so i didn't hear any of it and then stepped in the aircraft and it was uh did you hear that like now oh yeah uh yeah we're getting diverted it's like <laughs> oh okay okay i mean i don't know definitely a uh, heart rate was spiking but mm-hmm. uh, i feel like the nerves were still cool calm when had you done your uh, vert surface uh, syllabus uh that would have been a day or two days before Okay. Well, I mean, that's a good thing though, too, right? Because you had just, I mean, the first time you ever done it, but you also were as recent as you possibly could be before going into an avert surface case. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, here we have, we have different zones for doing our vertical surface and some are more difficult than others training wise. Okay. And unfortunately due to weather, the one I got to do my syllabus on was one of our less difficult. So I was a little bummed on that going into it but i i did still get good training on what to do but so it was definitely a skill gap i had to bridge yeah for this case yeah awesome so you guys are sitting there you're getting your hot gas start heading back to the air stay like what what conversations were happening um on the way back to the air stay as you were kind of preparing mentally for what you guys might might find Honestly, I, I think a lot of us assumed, well, I wouldn't say assume, but we were thinking there's a good chance they're going to get this guy off the cliff before we can get back to the base, mm-hmm. hot refuel, organize a plan, and go out there to affect this rescue. So, um, Are you honestly, talking like, I, I was, was local fire on scene or something trying to get him off too? Yeah, there was a, uh, the police department were there, the fire department were there, and they, I thought that they may end up rigging something up with uh, rope or something because we well, we had a was it 20 minute flight or off the boat and then hot refuel and then get the brief uh on what the case is going to be and then get out there and start to affect this rescue i thought there was a good chance that the person was going to get picked up prior to us getting out there i was really surprised when we got out there and he was still clinging to the side of that cliff yeah where, um, but actually I have a, I have a lot of other questions before we get out there. Sorry. Uh, Nick, were you, uh, like immediately advised that this was going to happen while they were out in the boat or was this like the helicopter came back and then they asked you to sprint out there. So did you have some time to plan? Think about it. Yeah. They told me right away and, uh, me and the watch captain were having conversations about shutting down versus hot refuel, what night sun we wanted and all that. Right. Um, yeah. So I had a, a good 20 30 minutes before they got that back yeah that makes sense and you had had you done had you ever had a chance to do a night vert surface case before i had not okay but you'd had plenty of experience obviously being stationed in humboldt now twice so 
uh, at least with yeah, as, as far as training goes, we, we definitely get a good amount of vert surface time, especially the rescue swimmer side. Yeah. Cause it happens, you know, every week or every other week. Right. You're always out there doing something. Um, can I touch a little bit more on the weather though? Cause you guys said it was overcast at 300, had to shoot the ILS in, uh, are we talking like Marine layer that only went a few miles inshore so that like when you got out there, it was a clear night. What, what was, what was it looking like? Yeah, um, pretty much what you would what you'd imagine yeah. um, as that layer uh, kind of you know heads uh, onshore uh, and starts reaching um, kind of the edge of the uh, shoreline. Uh, you know, it thins out a good bit. Uh, so certainly, once we arrived on scene, uh, you know, wide open skies. Okay. Moon was out, all those things. So, uh, certainly helped us out in that regard for sure. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Just out of curiosity, what are your training men's out there in Humboldt? Uh, 301 daytime, 502 at night. Oh, sorry. Opposite. Oh, no, that's right. 502 at night, 301 daytime. It's not a quiz. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I had the answers. I just didn't know the between day or night. Uh, we had a night, uh, just kind of like a, a ridge line just east of the airfield and that kind of stopped the fog from okay. going past gotcha. into the valley that we ended up affecting rescue. Okay. Gotcha. So we land, we, we hot gas, we got a night sun on, we talk about the plan and uh, we're headed back out. Um, let's, let's start from there. What, what was it like transiting out and uh, what did the on-scene conditions look like? Uh, what'd you see out there, Shay? Um, I mean, once we got through the low overcast layer uh pretty wide open okay um we had excellent illumination and uh winds were relatively light okay uh, like those things uh kind of allowed us to you know make a fairly straightforward assessment uh once we arrived on scene um we made you know, several uh both high and low uh recons until we finally, you know, settled into uh, where we were looking to attempt our first uh, hoist. I'd say uh, one of the more significant obstacles uh, that certainly was on uh, my mind, both on the approach in and where we ended up hoisting, um, there were several sets of high-tension lines in the area, oh, uh, we kind of had to work uh, in and around those to first uh, reach the scene. And then, uh, as I imagine we'll hit on later, um, they kind of uh, led us to execute the second hoist uh, in a certain way to avoid those items. Yeah. Um, what was the cliff like? What did it look like? Was it a steep one? Uh, what was this guy doing? It was there. there so, it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a, a very vertical surface and coming down, picking our spot and then coming down to seeing what was actually there is very uh, different and surprising. The, the one we actually uh, successfully rescued him, we were aimed at a spot. And when I got there, it uh, said the depths of Mordor, like the rocks were over vertical, sticking out of the cliff and oh, a lot of snag hazards, a lot of loose rocks. Uh, but the guy was, I don't, we haven't mentioned it yet. The guy had no harness, no rope. He was standing on maybe like a 
two by one foot wedge and holding on. So he was, oh. he was, uh, it was a balancing act for him for a good seven to 12 hours. Oh my God. Was he, when he started. was he out there just like free soloing this rock face or something? What? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I think what happened was he got up to a point where the rock started kind of crumbling apart okay. and he couldn't go any higher and he couldn't get back down. How did, did he have his cell phone on him? Like how the heck did he tell anybody? I, I, we, I, that information never really got to us. I, I kind of assumed he was just pulled out and the police out in Willow Creek saw the uh, empty car and kind of suspected somebody was, you know, hiking around or stuck maybe. Yeah. Um, cause that turnout is, you know, it's all, it's isolated. There's, it's pretty obvious that someone is there, you know? Right. Yeah. So Sam, Sam and I were talking in our intro and I was like, man, I love talking to, to guys like you that are going out and, and doing these awesome cases, but it just makes me think of, you know, back when we were in San Fran of like, okay, hey, here's our vert service training site. And it's really easy for us as pilots to just be like, okay, I, I basically know what the terrain is already. Let's just come into a hover and then we can just talk about it. Um, but I'm just imagining showing up at night on a vertical, you know, sheer cliff um, where you, you're like, man, I really don't know what's out here. And you guys probably as a crew are trying to divvy up like, cool. Hey, just so you guys know, I cannot see the tail at all. So um, Reed, I need you to make sure that we don't hit anything with the tail um, and, that's got to be difficult at, at night. Um, were you guys on goggles at this point? Was the area lit up? We were definitely on goggles. Uh, the police department shined a their little you know, spotlight on the side of the cliff for us too, so we could at least then help us kind of narrow in where the the case was and mm-hmm. we could see their lights flashing. Uh, so we had that as an option. But when we got overhead the first time, I mean, I know the I know we can speak on his own behalf as far as how difficult it was to even see the swimmer after we started to lower him down. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I guess jump, let's jump right into it. You guys get out there. You probably did your passes and everything. Um, how was it getting into a hover up at that altitude? Uh, and, and, uh, what kind of approach were you guys doing to the cliff? What, what was, what were we looking at out there? So what we did is we flew east to, towards the city center and then followed the road in uh, towards the vert surface spot. Before we did that, we did uh, did a couple of orbits up high above the ridgeline or just below the ridgeline and got in the CDU to see what we had for expected you know, height loss and power available and all that. And we also burned off some fuel before we got too far in there for our first recon. Mm-hmm. And then we just followed the, the road into that... Uh, down that canyon until we got near the, the vertical surface site. Um, and then from there, I think we, we essentially tried to come into a hover about, I'd say, the half mile or a little less, quarter mile from the actual site uh, to see what our power demands are going to be because there was a lot of power lines in the area. We didn't want to get uh, kind of stuck in there. Right. So we, we did a... Uh, power check there before we went below this uh, this uh, second tree line, and then uh, started talking about how we could do it. And we actually flew out from there and came back up to an orbit, and I think we burned off some more fuel before we went in the second time. Yeah. So, about how much fuel, or what was your on scene weight of that that first attempt? On our way back in, um, I guess I went old school and I uh, looked at the H sixty five. Have data, mm-hmm. 
and then uh, using that, um, expecting to be at about 4,000 feet, uh, I estimated we needed to be on scene for hoisting at about 8,700 pounds. Uh, and we were right about that. Um, I think we, our, our first hot refuel took about 1,300 pounds or so. Uh, we took a little bit less on the second go. Um, but yeah, I'd say uh, roughly 8,700. Okay. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions to see uh, if you were utilizing the Echo, but it sounds like you're an old old school guy. Old dog. Yeah, you can go in, you put your lat long in, and it tells you what your elevation is, and it'll pull that perfect. Yeah, it's but. not that I don't like all those extra things. I'm just uh, a very slow learner, so uh, apologize. <laughs> I went to what I had available and what I had used in the past. Uh, I'm sure had I used the Echo uh, update, it would have been... Uh, more accurate and helpful. Uh, well, maybe. But uh, I know that uh, you said you're a prior PA guy, and it seems like all the PA guys, I'm assuming that's that tabular data that you're referencing that gives you just like real good, quick yep. information on like, hey, what's Green, my altitude? Red. Yeah. yeah. It's like, can we do this? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the one that's got the three numbers on it. OBIGE, OBIGE with a... 10% reserve and right. then, uh, IG hover. So that was very easy to reference on the way in. Um, so I went with that. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so first hoist attempt, how did that go? So we, the way we approached Ridgeline, which this is my idea, which ended up being, uh, not as good as the second. Option. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. so I pretty much did like a T over, the ridgeline because I was worried about uh, paralleling the ridgeline and getting too far as I, you know, of course, walked the swimmer up the ridgeline. I was worried that the helicopter would be literally, you know, on the other side of the ridgeline. I'd be staring into the abyss. Okay. So I put nose into the ridgeline and I had a kind of like a tree out there that I was keeping right with my, uh, right in the corner of my windshield as my reference to try to keep an eye on. Uh, to try to hold the best hover I could hold, but mm-hmm. uh, apparently it wasn't as stable as I was thinking it was because uh, poor Reed over here couldn't even see the rescue swimmer just enough to see that I wasn't holding the stable hover. And uh, Nick's down there wondering what the hell we're doing. How high up were you guys too for the the cable length? What do you think? We went so high because uh, right above him was all was a bunch of like uh, gravel and you know softball sized rocks and all that, and I did. With the guy not wearing a harness, we were a little worried about sending a rock down on his head and falling. Yeah, so we right. started really high. Rightfully so. So who made the actual call to, to terminate the hoist? Um, Senate Commander Quinn. Okay. Nice. Got it. Nice. Yeah, as we uh, were working through the first evolution, um, obviously, as we have on, uh, we did a pretty thorough recon. Um, I was watching our fuel get lower and lower, and we usually see in the 65. And just from like hearing how the first uh, evolution uh, was, you know, working its way along, um, it sounded like we were going to need to reassess and execute a second point. Um, I had already lowered our bingo down to 200 pounds uh so actually in that first choice without accounting for the fuel 
that you don't see when you're in the hover attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, we no longer have the fuel to get back uh, to the air station, uh, but I did know um, locally at uh, one of our outlying airfields, if you will, um, we have a standing agreement with with Cal Fire mm-hmm. um, that if we need fuel we can land there and they have it for us. Uh, so we still had our adequate, uh, we still had our adequate reserves yeah. for that. Um, so while we were in a hover wrapping up this evolution, um, after I called for in a port, um, until we actually started flying home, I thought that's where we might end up refueling. Uh, but once we got up and away from the scene, uh, and I was able to account for that additional fuel. Uh, we had the adequate fuel reserve to head all the way home. Uh, so uh, knowing that the individual was, you know, still hanging there on the cliff, um, I opted for that uh, so we could expedite our refuel and uh, head out for a second attempt. Yeah. Hey, Shay, I'm gonna I'm gonna push you a little bit. Um, on sure. this one and put you on the spot, but um, how difficult was that decision to say, hey, we're going to abort? Because I'm just thinking in my head, like, okay, here we are. The reason that we're here in the first place means that no one else um, is going to be able to save this person. Uh, this person could fall. This person could get a rock that falls on them, knocks them off, kills them instantly. Um, was that an easy decision to say abort? We're going to go home knowing that it was going to take an extra 45 minutes versus like, cool, let's finish this hoist. Let's get this person off. Even if that means landing on a, a fire road and let, let EO take care of the, the aircraft that's stuck on some fire road up at 2000 feet. Yeah. I mean, I had thought um, about just landing after we had hoisted them off. Yeah. Um, even landing right on highway 299. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always had that out. Uh, wasn't a easy call. Um, you know, I tried to think of how the individual, um, who's, you know, hanging there on the cliff. Um, it's obviously not going to be good for their morale. If, uh, we leave scene. Yeah. Um, but, I knew we needed uh, some time to reset as a crew. Uh, and I guess really at the end of the day, uh, one of the last thoughts I had, uh, I guess it sounds rather harsh, but like um, that individual uh, ended up there on their own accord. Uh, so I needed to make sure that we as an air crew uh, had what we needed to safely effect a rescue and if that ended up uh, unsuccessful for the individual um, obviously not ideal but uh, that's what it is at the end of the day yeah uh, just from like from what I heard and observed and was uh, you know working through with everybody else in the aircraft I was not confident that even if we accepted landing on the highway at that point, um, that we would have been successful if we had just rolled right into a second hoist. Um, so like we needed more time to think through it and accept it. And we didn't have that option, uh, in the moment. That's awesome. Thanks for, 
you know, kind of helping us walk through that. Cause it's, it's super easy to, when you come for your P course to sit here at a 3710 lecture and be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, I'm deviating for 3710 to save a life. I could, I could crash this thing as long as I know everyone's, you know, going to be okay. Um, but it's a little bit harder when you're sitting in the aircraft um, and it's nighttime and there's pucker factor and you need to make a decision right now. And it started with, Hey, abort the hoist. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. Yeah, man, that, that's awesome. It's Sorry, not, Sam, were you going to say something? Yeah. Well, I, I might've missed this, but, uh, I know you guys said you were having trouble seeing, but you had the uh, night sign on. Was that not working for you on that first hoist? We had the, uh, IR night sign and I don't think it was operable at that time. Oh, that's okay. one of the big, that's one of the big changes that we made. Um, Lieutenant Commander Quinn, uh, champion when we got back. I didn't Shay, thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Formal. This is a very formal affair, John. Uh, <laughs> very formal. But it's made lieutenant. I don't want to lose it, right? I mean, yeah, man. You're uh, definitely you a DCA. It, definitely a DCA. Uh, so that's one of the changes that we made when we went back for that uh, second hot refuel. Well, actually, that was our third hot refuel. We put the night sun on without the IR filter. And then uh, we also um, changed the altitude that we were hovering at. And gotcha. that's also shaved. Uh, champion that as well to say essentially how low can we get before we're seeing rotor wash on this person. Let's get as low as we possibly can um, and then once we see rotor wash, a little bit of rotor wash or any effect at all, we'll come up a little bit. That way we can get as low as we can. Also, we didn't have good comms with Nick while he was down there uh, on his radio the first time. So, of course, when he got in the aircraft and we were all, uh, you know, little sad that we didn't make the rescue happen. He kind of put us in on the fact that, uh, you know, one that I wasn't holding the stable enough hover. Uh, Reed was having trouble seeing the hand signals that Nick was given. So the poor guy was down there, you know, frustrated that we weren't moving where he wanted us to move. We weren't holding the stable enough hover for a vert surface, mm-hmm. of course. So it was really uh, good when he came up and we kind of all talked about, uh, you know, our small failures and that, that first run so that we could make the changes the second time. Yeah. I think that's uh, I, th- I think that's another highlightable point is that you guys weren't successful and you were a, you had strong enough CRM as an air crew to be able to come back into the aircraft and say like, Hey, this is why it didn't work. But uh, you know, we're, we're good to continue forward. And this is, these are the changes we need to make. Um, speaking of that, I guess we really haven't heard from you for that first hoist uh, perspective, Nick. Um, yeah. How did it feel down there on the end of the hook? Were you just swinging around trying not to blast on the side of the cliff or? Oh yeah. So <laughs> I was going to ask, they kind of chose to abort it uh, while I was on the hook out of comps. Uh, and if they, if we hadn't made the decision to go back, I would have probably had, uh, had to say something along the lines of we need more time okay. because the, I had, had probably a good 40 foot swing, you know, with oh, oh, 40? above me, 150 feet below the aircraft. Oh no, uh, dude. So, so my, my pucker factor, I feel like was, was a little higher than everybody else's maybe. And I wanted time to assess how are we going to make that not happen again? Um, and we, it our brief before the first attempt, I mean, was probably 45 minutes worth of time just planning and talking and trying to figure out what we were going to do. Yeah. And if we, we wouldn't, we, I knew we didn't have time to do that again in a hover above the guy. So we, I mean, we really did need to go back to get fuel and sit on deck and talk about what we were going to fix before I was ready to get on the hook again. Yeah. At any point, did you give the like, 
hey, let's terminate this evolution while you were down there or no? I think it kind of came across everybody's mind kind of at the same time. Okay. And it's one of the biggest takeaways for me is sometimes you have to start over. Like, don't try to force the one attempt you have. Maybe if you start over, you'll get two attempts. So yeah. if, if halfway through that first one, I had said, this isn't going to work. We, I got to go back up and we got to start over and try something different. We There could have been a chance of having a second try uh, with less of a danger and enough time to do to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Reed, do you think if Nick gave you the uh, terminate signal that you would have even been able to see it? At the end there, I don't think so. Yeah, that's and to go like I was gonna add add to Mr. Quinn's uh, story like when he gave Jay, thank you. Yes, Jay. <laughs> for God's sake, it's Jay. <laughs> when, when Jay gave, like, I'm gonna hang up the phone if it doesn't work out. <laughs> when Jay gave like kind of put out there that we were gonna abort, it was right before that we were we were calling and I kind of went silent, and then yeah. it was uh, like, what's going on? And I was, I was just kind of like, I, I can't see Nick's hands. I can't see them. And that's a big part of what stirred, like, we're, we need to abort this. And like, that's when Commander Quinn over. said abort. Yeah. And Lieutenant Commander Quinn said abort. Yeah. Please yeah. put that away. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, as far as, like, um, like, what, I mean, I think if you go back and look at some of our inadvertent IMC uh, things over the years, uh, one lesson that, that, that I've learned from those is like when folks go inadvertent um, and something is wrong or something unexpected or they're, they're not sure, um, you know, uh, essentially when there is a loss of SA, mm-hmm. um, I, folks tend to go silent. Uh, so having had that same experience, uh, and also like, you know, learned from others. Um, I heard a lot of that throughout our first evolution, uh, where I was having to just kind of ask like for an update on the whole Yeah. And can I anyone tell that, me what's happening right what now? What is going on right, <laughs> right now? Right. Um, so the fact that there's like long enough for me to have that thought. Yeah. Days at over ICS, which as you've heard here, sometimes, you know, it's a little bit longer for me to say things than other people. Right. Um, the fact that we've got that long, you know, in between those updates was an indicator that, Hey, this hoist is not, uh, running how we thought it would. So like we've all outlined, we need to reassess. Uh, but, um, you know, we needed a in-depth reassessment at that point. Yeah, and so back back to that swing that you said you had too, Nick. And, and this question for you and Reed: um, How did you guys adjust for that that swing? Were you in in danger of coming into the cliff? Uh, you know, Reed, did you have to pay out a bunch of cable? Could you tell he was swinging? What what happened after that, or did you just start bringing him up? Uh, so I mean, I was kind of swinging uh, parallel to the cliff, so I didn't hit it. Okay. Which, if I had hit it, I would have been able to. I mean, I, so I was swinging forty feet, which. Is, I wasn't moving all that fast, so I wasn't really worried about impacting the cliff. It was more the rocks above me that I and the cable okay. that I was worried about. Yeah, snag hazards, got it. Yeah, impacting the cliff is not a recommended way to stop the cliff. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. All right, so, um, Shay, did you think 
about, I, this is a really blunt question, but did you think about swapping seats when you went back for that hot gas? Not, nothing on you, John, um, but I know that's like, you know, is, is one of your first cases, if not your first case, and uh, certainly first attempt didn't go so well. Um, what were your guys' thoughts? Do you have that conversation in the front? I thought he was going to, I thought for sure he was going to swap seats, and I wouldn't have blamed him one bit. In fact, yeah. I don't know why I didn't. So <laughs> that's poor judgment on his, on his side. But um, yeah, I, I thought for sure he was going to swap seats on me. Um, you know, you think you're doing the best that you can, but when when the flight mac and the rescue swimmer tell you that you're all over the place or that they're swinging, you're like, I feel like I'm failing the crew here. You're like, shit. You know? Yeah. yeah you feel like shit. You feel like, oh man, I'm trying so hard and I'm, I'm trying to keep that stupid tree in the spot and you feel like you're stable. And I had, um, I put belt on instead of uh, hub hog because I thought it was going to work the best and it, it kept, me, kept me stable for as far as altitude control, but you know, the rest was up for me, up for me to do. And apparently I wasn't doing it the standard. So I, I thought for sure he was going to swap me out and I don't know why I didn't. So maybe he didn't want to, you know, zap my confidence the rest of my career. I don't know. Yeah. Shay, Shay, what were your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, um, I guess for me, uh, it came down to maybe three things. Uh, We'll see how many end up on this list as I kind of work through my thoughts in the moment. Um, first, um, I knew that if we were going to swap seats, we would have to shut down. Uh, and while that wouldn't add a whole lot of time, like this individual had already, you know, hung on for quite a while. Yeah. And so I felt like there was a lot of value in expediting our return um just you know like i alluded to earlier i mean Mm -hmm. if i was out there on a cliff and a helicopter uh showed up tried to rescue me and was unsuccessful uh like i'm gonna i'm you know not exactly in a very happy you know Mm -hmm. spot at that time Mm -hmm. um so i felt like the sooner that we could return to scene that would increase this individual's chances of survival at this point. Um, I also, you know, um, I think it's important to know the other aviators that you fly with and also to know yourself. Uh, Speaking first to Jonathan, uh, I've obviously flown with him a lot since it's a very small unit. Mm -hmm. Um, He's, has very good, uh, he's got very strong, um, very strong stick and rudder skills. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, when I thought about that, um, especially thinking about his army time, like this guy knows how to hover over land very well. Uh, and so that's kind of what led me to like, we just need to alter a few things about the way that we're looking to execute this hoist. And I think, uh, he'll have what he needs, um, to safely effect a rescue. Uh, and then to, uh, knowing yourself, um, while I am confident in my, in my own abilities, um, I know that things like vertical surface, um, as I thought through kind of how I learned that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it took me 
some extra repetitions when I was first upgrading. Um, so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like I just, I didn't think that swapping seats was really going to improve our ability. Um, I thought that, um, you know, where everybody was in the aircraft at the time, um, was our strongest, you know, orientation, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, to basically affect the rescue. And I could increase our odds of success if I stayed in the left seat and just kind of helped, uh, yeah. Us work through that evolution yeah. as um, kind of like not that I'm on the outside, right? But like I'm not trying to fly the aircraft while also explaining what other elements we need to update uh, or we need to alter in order to basically affect the rescue. So I could more easily manage the whole situation um, from the left seat. That makes sense. So, that makes a lot of sense. I answer your question there, but no, there it makes go. a lot of sense. Yeah, um, John, you said you guys tried uh, belt mode to kind of hover, so I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask, like, hey, did you could you have tried Hovog with Balt, and would that have worked? And then also, um, was there enough light where you guys could put up the um, hoist cam footage on one of the inboard MFDs, or was it? so dark that you couldn't see anything anyways uh so we could have put the we could have easily put the hoist cam on there but it wouldn't have helped us because at the height we were at without the night sun working i mean the flying that couldn't even see couldn't the rest of yeah. so mm-hmm. that i don't think that would have uh, made the difference on that first hoist we had it up um all it was really indicating to me was that nick had a very good swing. He kind of swung from one side of the view over to the other. Yeah, uh, so he came into that little beam of light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, but as far as trying to use that uh, to hover off of, uh, we certainly, you know, we didn't have adequate environmental for that. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool. So you guys go back, you hot gas. Uh, You guys said you had to do a ILS back in there to get the hot gas. Was that correct? (laughs) That's correct. Okay, so yeah. I'm also just trying to like feel that pressure of like, okay, yeah. we've been doing DOQs. Weather's already been bad. Um, we just went out. We worked really, really hard to try to get this person off. Um, Lowering bingo. Lower bingo, and now we're doing an ILS to just come home, get gas, to go try it again. Um, how's everyone's morale at this point? Everyone's still pumped, or are you like? Can I also, what time, what time of night is it at this point? Uh in order to offer you a full answer to this question, uh, we need another round of beers. Okay. Right, if we hold on, yeah. This let's answer, pa- let's so pause. Absolutely, yeah. pause to recharge glass because we need another beer too. That's very important, actually. All right, Flight Two Friday listeners, we're gonna just pause there on the first episode for that beer break. Here, uh, it gives us a good halfway point. Right, we tried to get out there for the first attempt, didn't quite get to it in Humboldt. Uh, and then we're going to head back, uh, recharge our beers first, obviously, and then uh, get back into Very important to recharge the beers. Uh, all right, dude. Well, uh, you have a wonderful holiday season. I think it's the last time I'm going to see you before we uh, go out in the holidays. I think so. And same to everybody else out there. So with that said. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. While the merry bells keep ringing. Happy holiday. 